Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to Text Message, the UK-focused technology podcast with me, Nate Langson. And me, Ian Morris. And if you're one of our patrons, this is your extended ad-free version of this week's show. And thank you to our new or latest new or upgraded patrons. There's a lot of you this week as well. KV, Mike Charles, Paul Davison, James Cook, John Evans, Mark R, Mark McAvoy, Alistair Rose, Alex Waddell, or Waddell? Waddell? Um, I'm sure he'll tell us. Hello, Alex. John- I would say Waddell. John M, Toby Roberts, Andrew Walker, Stephen Huxtable, many more besides. Thank you, thank you, thank you for either joining us or um, changing... Tweaking. Or tweaking tiers, yes, a tier tweakage. Um, It's incredibly helpful. Um, You are the people, they are the people supporting us directly and getting access to our new sister show, Extra Message, our live streams, our unedited, unedited, uncensored versions, and much more besides. You can join them and support us for the same amount of money as buying us a beer once a month by going to patreon.com forward slash UK tech. Thank you, patrons. Ian, actually, it's funny mentioning buyers a beer, partly because I don't actually drink. Yeah, but I do. I don't drink. But I do. True. So they can buy me a beer. <laughs> but I was I was reminded of that helpful little comparison by a friend of mine, Ollie Mann, who produces the Modern Man podcast. On, um, on his episode this week, he read out an email that he'd had from a listener saying someone had stolen his idea of having a listener... Uh, be a podcast ambassador in whichever country they lived in, ah. but without realising that Ollie nicked it from me after I told it <laughs> to him in a pub a few years ago. Right. Uh, I, of course, stole it wholesale myself from the long-standing political tradition of employing diplomats to represent sovereign states, uh, which I believe probably dates back uh, a few hundred years, <clears throat> probably to the Middle Ages, credit where it's due. Yes. Um, anyway, I said to Ollie at the time that in return I was going to pinch his idea of saying supporting us can cost the same amount of Money is buying one of us a beer once a month, and then I forgot. So thank you, Ollie, for reminding me to steal something of yours in return. Um, and do, of course, listen to The Modern Man. Ollie's got a lovely voice, only matched in loveliness by, by his firm, warm hugs. I don't think I've ever met Ollie. He has firm, warm hugs. The days, Ian, of spending your precious lunch break standing in line for a sandwich are increasingly numbered, according to an Engadget write-up this week, as supermarket chain Sainsbury's launched the UK's first ever till-free grocery store. The blog wrote that the busy store in London's Holborn Holborn Circus... Holborn. I was going to do a ho-ho-holborn... But then I realised it's not Christmas and I'm not Santa. <clears throat> has been given a mobile-first makeover so customers can scan and pay for their goods via their smartphone, while staff previously chained to checkout areas are free to spend time helping customers on the shop floor. Now, Ian, we could yes. <clears throat> we could sit here in our studio and talk about this, but instead we're going to hand over live to our roving reporter on the ground on his way to Sainsbury's to try this out for us in person. That person is me, Nate Langson. Nate, how's the weather over there in Hoburn? Yes, not bad, thanks. It's a bit muggy um, and I'm hungry for some chocolate, which is what I'm going to go and buy from the, the Sainsbury's, which is now on my right. The windows are entirely covered with promotional material about how you can come in and pay with your phone. So I'm entering the store now. There's lots of people hanging around in orange T-shirts. Let me see. Okay, so I'm in the store now. It's a regular-looking store. I'm next to the sausages. Don't want those. 
I'm looking at some fish. Don't want those. Where's the chocolate? Where's all the unhealthy stuff? There it is. Hello, sir. Yes, I'm just documenting my experience. What shall we have? I'm going to have a dairy milk and what else shall I buy, Ian? A ripple. Okay. Do I just I just place this on here and do the scanning? Do I? No, you need to have an app on your phone. I've got that ready. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, I just yeah, I just yeah, yeah. I just put that on here. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Just be aware your voice is on my recording if that's okay. Okay. So I take my app. Okay. I'm scanning the barcode on one product. It's just got a little spinning circle as it identifies. Okay. It's got that. I'm now scanning the dairy milk taking a little longer than I expected. How long should this take? It shouldn't take that long. It's sometimes the, you know, your Wi-Fi or network providing internet. Okay. It's done. Uh, okay, it's, 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 done, it's, yeah. it's scanned them. There we go. So yeah. click close. I'm not scanning anymore. Check out with Apple Pay. Yeah. Double click to pay. And that's it. And if you just press on the scan QR code. To finish. That's just, yeah, just to finish. Yeah. Okay, so there's this QR code on the exit. Yeah, that's it. And that's it. Yeah, in the bottom you will see done. That's it. That's so it. they're scanning this little icon here on the yeah, on the side of the wall. It generates. Yeah, it, it generates. It basically just says, it "I'm leaving." It and also it, it tells you that you're done. I'm done. Yeah. Okay. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Have a nice day, sir. Thank you. Well, that's it. I'm done. I'm out. I've got my chocolate in my hand. It's all clear. Uh, a little bit of a faff in the first instance, but I presume that's just because it was the first time I was doing it. Um, back to you guys in the studio, where if you look under your desk, you'll see I've left a little surprise for you. Ah, hang on, let me look. There is a surprise. What's this? <laughs> a Galaxy Ripple. Oh, wonderful. That's for you, I Thank believe. Thank you. And somewhere else in here, a Dairy Milk. This will be for me. Um, Thank you very much, Nate. That's incredibly kind. No problem. Enjoy. Oh, uh, you asked me to remind you to go to the doctor to have that thing checked out. On yep, your... yep, good. Thanks a lot. No need to talk about that. Thanks. Cream, it's... Right. Sorry about that. Anything you want to talk about, Nate? No. In the pub, maybe. Let's talk about the experience a little bit. Um, in a sense, that whole process was fine. There was a little bit that I cut out... Um, of the in situ recording just then where I was trying to get the Wi-Fi, my 4G to work and the Wi-Fi then in the store, I tried as a fallback and then the, the 4G started working again. The whole thing took a lot longer than it should have. Part mm. of that was definitely my fault. But the other part, and, and this is something I did in advance of, of doing that recording, was I had to sign up for a Nectar card because yeah. I, don't, I don't have one. And that was a separate sign up process to signing up to the the app, the specific app that Sainsbury's has for this. There's two separate apps, two signups, and then you link them together. Once you've sort of gone through the whole process of signing up and linking it and everything, then you go into the shop and the experience was exactly as advertised. You can mm. literally pull something, take something off the shelf, scan it with the barcode scanner on your phone like you heard me do, and then there's like a QR code um, on the window that you scan as you're leaving, and that just basically says, you know... Logs you, you out, kind it, of. Thing. Essentially logs yeah. you out, yeah. And you'll build. And, and that's it, and it's, and it's built with Apple Pay, but, you know, Google, uh, Android is supported as well. So that was all fine. It's just, <clears throat> there, I, I can't get away from the feeling that as smooth as it all is, it benefits Sainsbury's a lot more than it benefits it does. you and me. And For, you know why. Well, I know several reasons why, but let's see if they tally up with mm. what you were going to suggest. Well, it's all just a massive surveillance operation, right? It's it's in the script. I said it's something like a loyalty scheme on steroids and yeah. or crack, mm. because... 
you have to enable your camera. You, it asks you to enable GPS. Um, when you sign up to the system, it says, do you want to receive offers for this, that, and the other? Um, when you log, when I tried, when I when my 4G didn't work and I had logged onto the shop Wi-Fi, the, uh, it's O2 Wi-Fi, but the login page is Sainsbury's branded. It mm. says the Ho, you know, Hoburn store name. So it's all very neatly tied up and, and credit where it's due, they've uh, done it, a good job of that. Do you have to give it any more details to get into the Wi-Fi or is it free with... No, you. it's not. It, there's a, it's, it's free, but there's a reg wall. So you have to actually register for the Wi-Fi, um, unless you're already registered with BT two Wi-Fi, I oh, presume. Good yes. Grief. But, but you shouldn't need to. That was only my fault for not having four G. Anyone who's paying oh, for their yeah. groceries with a mobile phone mm. in the shop is going to have four G. Well, up. you say that, but not necessarily because I've been in plenty of supermarkets because of the very nature of the. I'm not probably doesn't apply to this particular one, but plenty of sort of those metal roofed. Uh, supermarkets don't have very good um, 4G signal or, or, you know, mobile signal. There's a couple I've been in that like that. I mean, that's basically the problem I had. And I cut that out from the recording because nobody wants to hear three minutes of me farting around with 4G no. trying to get it to work. Yeah. Uh, not even on the unedited I <laughs> version. Fe I feel like if Sainsbury's is going to offer a service like this, it needs to be um, planned better from that perspective. So that you, whilst it's reasonable to accept that people have 4G or 3G or whatever, mm. um, it also it's going to be a quicker and better experience if they're on Sainsbury's Wi-Fi. Well, let's just be super clear about this because I don't want to I don't want to sound like Sainsbury's has done a bad job with this in in for, for what it is. It the app is very slick. Yeah. Once my 4G was working, mm. the process was completely painless. Very, very straightforward, very fast, basically as advertised. Yeah. The problem I have with it is that it's for me? It was no faster, or very, very little faster than using a self-service checkout with, um, you know, with uh, with contactless. Yeah, I would say once you get used to the process, it probably is marginally quicker because you don't have to wait for the self-service thing to yeah. finish speaking. And well, and you... also you won't. There's no queues, right? There's so, no queues. So that's. I mean, in in a lot of Sainsbury's or any supermarket. Uh, even for self-checkout, there is often a queue. Yeah, this gets rid of that. That's really nice. It does just feel like a giant data grab. It is very much a a very heightened loyalty scheme. You said surveillance. I don't think surveillance so much, but it really is all well, about is. data it, and knowing yeah. what you're buying, when you're buying it, where you're buying it. Yeah. No worse than Amazon, certainly. No, but Amazon's a different kettle of fish. Um, yeah. Supermarket shopping is much more, well, I don't want to say it's much more personal, but it could be. You know, there are all sorts of things that you buy in a supermarket that give um, a company a really specific profile about who you are, um, and that troubles me. I tell you what, I, I do know, I do understand why it is they do Nectar and the app registration separately because Nectar is a separate company. It's not part of say it, it is it is a big part of Sainsbury's, but it is not exclusive to them. Yes. Um, so I can sort of see that. I don't like the fact that you need to have Nectar. I don't think that should be a thing. Mm. I just don't see the logic of that. Um, obviously, I understand why you have to have an app. But what I don't understand is why you need to register for it. Because if you're using Google Pay, Apple Pay, Samsung Pay, whatever, there's actually no reason for that. You just you go through the process, you pay for the stuff. When it says you've, you're clear, you walk out the door. I, I, I don't think. I think if you really want to encourage people into your shop, Getting rid of this stuff would be a big help, I think. Camille M says in the chat room that he'd rather wait for Amazon Go. Yeah, I mean, I can see, I can see the logic of that. I think that there is Amazon does things a lot more conveniently. Um, you know, that just having the Amazon app is, I assume, enough for an Amazon Go store. Is that right, or is there a specific app for it? 
I don't know. Yeah, I don't I even know either. if you need to have we're, the app open. It hasn't come to the UK, has it? So we're veering off topic yes. into things we don't Let's know anything see. about. Let's get back might, onto things that we think we know about. I might have to move this chocolate bar away because it's making me hungry. It's for later, Chief. Yes. It's your reward. Thank you. Um, let us know any thoughts you have on this. Of course, if you've experienced Amazon Go, how does my experience compare to your own? Hello at techpodcast.uk is where you can send that to. And if you want to come down and try the Sainsbury's, then it's in Ho Ho Hoburn Circus. <laughs> Every drone and model aircraft owner in the UK, Ian, could be charged £16.50 of the Queen's pence per year under plans by the aviation regulator, the BBC wrote this week. The Civil Aviation Authority is consulting on introducing a licence fee to cover the costs of operating new drone registration, the new drone registration scheme, according to the Beeb. And from November, drone owners would have to register their details on a database and drone flyers would complete a free online safety test. A final decision is expected by the regulator in July and only those aged 18 or over would be able to register as the official drone owner. Now, there was an amusingly blunt and short blog post this week on the uh, website of FPV UK, which is an industry body, represents drone users uh, and has its own membership plan, which we'll get to in a bit. And the blog said... All drone operators will be forced to register with the government by November 2019. The government has just opened a consultation on the £16.50 per annum proposed price. We think this is absolutely outrageous, brackets, parentheses, rather. It's almost as much as the FPV UK membership fee and you get absolutely nothing to show for it, exclamation mark, close parentheses. Please be sure to tell the government what you think by completing this consultation. Now... I looked into FPV UK and it lets people sign up 20 quid a year, lets members, uh, or rather it gets members, £5 million of public liability insurance, which is no bad thing, uh, and that's for all drone or RC model flying. You get discounts from some repair companies, practical courses, clubs and events and stuff like that. So it's fairly concerned the government forcing a charge of almost the same cost of their membership will potentially prevent people from wanting to pay for a second yeah. voluntary membership to something else, which... I completely agree with. I do completely agree with it. I think it absolutely will do exactly that. I think it'll do exactly that. I think if this scheme needs to come in... Um, Why not let FPV have a feed-in so they ask for the government information? Um, and well, have, I, have I stampled all over your point there? No, you're just making a really good point yeah. I hadn't thought of, and I was going to pretend that I had uh, thought of it. Well, <laughs> you've let the cat out of the bag, mate. But, you know, you see what I mean, right? I mean, I can. the government is obviously going to be wanting to collect da- data about people's drone serial numbers... Um, you know, stuff like that, so that they've got some idea about where these drones are and things, and you know, so why not? Why not allow that the FPV to be a certified provider of that information? Obviously, there are certain headaches around that with GDPR, I'm sure, uh, but it could be worked out. And it's it, and it also seems like unless the government's trying to make money out of this, which that twenty quid a year doesn't sound like it's going to. I mean, it, there'll be more administration and setup costs than that will cover. Um, it just sort of feels like the sort of thing where they're, if they're trying to get to a point where they have drone registration and that kind of thing, I, it just feels like there are better ways of doing it. But. So let me ask you this then, Ian, because yeah. I, I began thinking of, along the similar similar lines to you, and I began agreeing with um, what FPV was saying. And then I started thinking about something I did last week, mm-hmm. which was finally 
apply for my provisional driver's license. Ah. I'm going to learn to drive. And for those of you who find that surprising, you don't need to drive in London. No, but I but now don't, don't live in London. I don't live so, in London now, yeah. so I'm going to start learning to drive. Um, and I had to pay for the privilege of registering and having mm-hmm. a license sent through to me. It's quite expensive, isn't it? It was more than this, more than twice this mm. cost. Um, and there is a and there is a there is a database and details and stuff and things that have to be maintained mm. by the government. And I didn't object to paying a fee to get my license. I no. didn't. There's somebody sitting in a in a back office somewhere processing that, and they. But it's also to... a one-off fee. Well, yes. Well, I, I, yeah, that's true. And this is per year. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So maybe yeah, but... maybe the solution really should be a one-off fee that yeah. you don't then have to repay or repay like you do with a passport every ten years or something. Yeah, and I mean, I, I, I in theory, I'm, I, I, I have a very, I have very mixed feelings about this because. For a lot of drone people, they just want something to mess around with. I don't think they necessarily want to, um, you know, they want to go to the park and they want to fly it there. Mm. I don't think that registering that is really, a, it just feels completely over the top. Yeah, I think that, that where where I'm very interested in, um, in in licensing for drones is when you sort of hit the point where you'd like to do something with your footage. You know, so for example, if I want to shoot a video, um, having a license for that that enables me to fly my drone in places I wouldn't otherwise be able to would be appealing. So, and also a simplified sort of perhaps a little test that ensures that you understand safe drive flying and all that kind of stuff. I think that would be a really nice way for people who are interested in getting into sort of semi-professional droning to be able to do it without huge amounts of effort and expense. So I like that idea. Mm. I don't want to have every single man, woman and child who want to fly a drone on Saturday to be registered. It feels like overkill. But presumably there are some weight limits that would apply to this. There are, but they're, they're quite small. I don't have them to hand. We have talked about those before, um, but they're, 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 relatively, they're relatively small, I think. Um, the question I would have about this is it feels a little bit like DRM for the skies mm. in the sense that it's only going to negatively impact people with a legitimate interest in dronage. Yes. It's not like the people who it's are... It's not going to stop anyone from being no, illegal. because the chat room was asking whether this is, you know, brought on by the, the airport, Gatwick, the Gatwick yeah. stuff and airports, which it's certainly been expedited by that, I, I, I would say. But those the people who are flying drones over airports to try and, you know, uh, have an anarchistic That's effect. already illegal. It's illegal. already it's already illegal and what they're not gonna register for that. No. because if you're going to do a crimes, yeah. you one does not register. I was also reading on the BBC a quote from Simon Dale. He is the uh, the boss of F uh, F FVP, who says criminals aren't going to register, so the safe and compliant people are the ones listed on the database. So he's basically, mm. in fact, he probably informed my erstwhile opinion. Yeah, but that's that's basically absolutely the, true. That's absolutely basically true the point, of everything. Mm. You know, it, it's it's always the people who play by the rules that are the people who will be, you know, tracked and monitored. It, it you know, I, I I could I would have a lot of sympathy with people who decided not to register. The chances of getting caught are probably pretty minimal. Um, but again, I I kind of I'm I think it's a terrible shame that we're going to hamper technology by making rules that sort of stop people from doing perfectly legitimate things with drones. And of course, I'm worried about safety. No one wants to be at the park and have a drone fall out of the sky. 
I, I'm sure that's relatively rare. But at the same time, I, I, I feel like, from my personal experience, when I've flown drones, there is always this kind of sense, is someone going to get angry with me for this? I'm not trying to in, infringe anyone's privacy or anything. I'm not trying to make anyone's life unpleasant. Most of the time when I've flown drones, people have been like, oh, what's that? You know, really interested. And I've shown them and, you know, we've you know had nice conversations with it. Um, and I think it's a shame to overburden things with legislation. I feel like the general public, as long as they're responsible, shouldn't be forced into a scheme like this. I think the the place for this is for people who want to take it to the next level and who perhaps want to fly drones in places where recreationally it would, would be inappropriate. Do you have a point or a counterpoint? Do let us know what either of those are. Hello at techpodcast.uk. It's never perfect when Ian and I broadly agree on a topic, but maybe you disagree Mm. or have another view on this. Do let us know. Hello at techpodcast.uk. Well, the BBC has proposed making all of its commissioned content available on the iPlayer for at least a year. It's currently usually a month, I believe, isn't it? 30 days? Yeah, something like that. 30 days or a month. Yeah. I think some, some stay longer, like the documentaries and things. It but, does depend. Uh, I, think, I think news stuff is generally left for a year or longer. Yeah. Um, and this story actually slipped under my radar last week, but I really wanted to highlight it after I found a copy of um, the BBC, uh, the board's proposal um, to change this. And as a brief I think it's worth probably putting a little brief reminder here for our overseas listeners and the people in the UK we pay a tax called the licence fee and that goes to fund our state broadcaster the BBC Uh, and in return the BBC has no ads on any of its UK broadcasts Um, the iPlayer is like Netflix because you know it's all the content that it makes including live streams and it's free to use and download from if you're paying the licence fee but because it's regulated, the BBC can't do anything without approval um, that aims to protect competitors that don't benefit from the licence fee and instead rely on people paying or watching ads. So they're kind of in a rock and a hard place in some of these sorts of situations. And and that's where this new proposal comes in, because the BBC wants to be able to compete better with things like Netflix, but it thinks it can't do that effectively without potentially harming local rivals. Uh, hence this consultation. Now, I've, I've taken a few quotes out of this white paper. It was bloody long. <laughs> but I went through the whole thing to try and find some of the most you know, I think pertinent points mm-hmm. here. And I found a few things. So the following, these are all direct quotes out of his. This is what the BBC says. We plan to make all BBC commissioned programmes available on BBC iPlayer until at least 12 months from when the final episode in the current series is first published on iPlayer. It said that in practice this will mean some episodes are available slightly longer than others, but it will remove audience frustrations of individual episodes disappearing on different days. It argued that 12 months is an, is an important minimum availability on all programmes to ensure that A, a significant range and depth of content uh, is available at any one time, that typically only one full series would be uh, available for each current title, and that there'd be a strong offer across the year regardless of the rhythm of the linear schedule. And there's some other points in there, but I deem them to be much less interesting. So the BBC consulted uh, competitors, again, this is all according to the white paper, competitors, production companies, industry bodies, cable providers, unions, other institutions, as well as the princely summian of 51 members of the public (laughs) to, to find out how they'd feel about such a change. And the public response is quite interesting. In short... 
And this is what we can debate as well, I think, Ian. In short, there was a strong public support um, for these changes, that increasingly the availability of content that had been paid for with license fee money could only be a benefit to viewers. And several respondents apparently described situations where they've been frustrated at having to try to start a series um, currently being broadcast or catch up on a previous series before a new series was com- uh, transmitted only to find that the first episode wasn't actually available anymore you know like maybe they're on series uh, episode five but episode one has already gone because it was more than 30 days ago so they can't actually start at the beginning mm. like that would be very frustrating like imagine if i don't know stranger things on netflix started with episode three be a bit weird yeah or indeed most shows. Um, there was also a line that amused me. It tickled me in a, in a fun place, Ian. Um, it was in, in, uh, in, this, in the white paper. It said, where we received negative responses from members of the public, these were focused on other issues outside the scope of the public interest test, primarily quality of content and functionality of BBC iPlayer, including accessibility for expats outside the UK. I love the idea, and I, I think that there was about, it was in the in the teens number of respondents who said something that was useless because Mm. they said 30-something of the 50-something respondents were useful. It's great that you have a tiny number of people responding to an inquiry and a good third of them are whinging about something that they weren't asked about. I mean, I I know iPlayer does have issues with expats because um, I don't believe there's actually a legal way for you to have... Um, a service outside of the UK you, 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 you even if you're prepared to pay a license fee to access it I believe that because of the geo restrictions yes you're you're not allowed I mean of course the VPN gets you around that very easily unless the VPN's blocked because Netflix for example blocks a lot of them now I'm writing an article at the moment about Netflix BBC and well about VPN specifically but one of my tests is exactly that can I stream the BBC from the UK but it's a moving goalpost isn't it it is and it does change but I mean I, I can only do what I can do you know you have to give people an idea and um, and most of the services work okay with iPlayer a few notable exceptions but um, yeah so well, we've we've steered slightly into lot, as we always do off topic street. I'm just going to navigate us back onto the main story avenue. Okay, we're back on the road now. Um, there are some illuminating quotes here, and would you like to hear some of them? I'd love to. These come from the report. Um, in fact, I've I've skipped ahead ever so slightly because I should I should have pointed out that these illuminating quotes came from Sky and Virgin, oh, well, there's a surprise. Am, amongst others, who were perhaps predictably less keen on this idea. Virgin Media said that there was a potential material impact on TV platforms and in production and secondary rights markets like DVDs. Ian's head is tilted back, his tongue is out. He looks like he's having a medical problem, but he's actually just complaining <laughs> silently. Um, Sky said the proposals risked diverting audiences away from competitors, which could reduce the revenue and profitability of other um, video-on-demand services, reducing their willingness to invest, as in reducing uh, Sky's willingness to invest, Mm. uh, which would impact the production sector. And this is where the illuminating comments come in. Um, They include, right now, despite its reputation for quality and the strength of its brand, the BBC iPlayer is not keeping up with audience expectations. And I should point out, these are BBC's quotes. These aren't Sky and Virgin's quotes. These are quotes that the BBC itself has concluded. It continues, In in today's media landscape, audiences do not understand why programmes drop off BBC iPlayer after 30 days. Um, In 2014, our share of video-on-demand viewing was over 40% in the UK. If we do not adapt quickly to respond to audiences' new expectations, we expect our share of video-on-demand viewing to continue to decline over the next five years from around 15% today to 12% by 2024. 
And finally, they said, uh, the BBC said, we find no evidence that our changes risk crowding out competition. And they um, did work with other agencies to gather this data yeah. and do this response. So that's, that's where that, that's not conjecture. That no. is, well, it's, it's based on some, you know, some data. Yeah. So I didn't know that figure. 2014, BBC had 40% of the streaming market in the UK and now says it has, it admits it has 15%. I, d- I don't, I don't agree. I fundamentally don't agree with Sky or Virgin on this whole competition thing. Here's why. Both of those platforms benefit from iPlayer because iPlayer appears on both. So um, Sky and Virgin Media are both made better and more attractive by the presence of BBC services. So they can wind their necks in on that. I don't agree with it. Um you know, Sky produces a certain amount of content a year. It isn't a lot of homegrown. I mean, if you discount sport, um, there's a decent amount, and it's and a lot of it's very good. Virgin isn't really in the TV production game anymore. Is a you know a platform, but I don't, I imagine most of its money doesn't really come from TV because it doesn't have channels, so as so to speak. So you know, its its money's coming from different places. So I don't think either of those companies has a, a huge amount to complain about. I think if Netflix was to come along and go, actually, this does negatively impact us because a lot of BBC shows end up on Netflix. But the question has to be for the public who have paid for shows is what serves us better as a, you know, in terms of the money we spent. And I think the answer to that is a strong iPlayer that offers people a good amount of content. Now, Unfortunately, because of the whinging of companies like, I mean, perhaps not in this case Sky, um, but other companies over the years had complained um, quite extensively about the BBC's impact. The BBC sort of was told uh, some years ago that it had to, uh, you know, offer a lot of its production to third parties. So there are third party production companies now that make programmes for um, the BBC, you know, things like Endemol and, you know, others. so that that was something that came about because of the competition issue. But it's also the reason that the BBC doesn't entirely own its own library. So deals have to be done. And it will take the BBC probably quite a long time to sort this out because I imagine that the contracts that they do with, you know, companies like Endemol will be, we'll show this for 30 days after it's aired. They can re-air it and get another 30 days, but they will now then be taking that to a year. So will they be able to do... Um, air it once a year, say, and then in, perpetu- in perpetuity have access to it on iPlayer? I suspect not. Well, this is where I think BritBox comes in. And yes. John in the chat room asked about Brit- BritBox here. I think what is intended to ultimately happen is that you would have these on iPlayer for a year mm. and then they would be available on BritBox, which we've talked about. Or Netflix, maybe. Or both. But or we, both. I think both is reasonable. We've, we've been told, we've talked about... The fact that BritBox is in is in plans to come to Britain, mm. so then you are essentially getting the content for a year on the iPlayer, mm. then it disappears from the iPlayer, and then immediately or continues if it's already on there appearing on BritBox, which would have a comp- they've said it'll be have a competitive price, yeah, and then so then it's all but BritBox is mo- is supposed to be more about archive. It's it, I mean I'm not, I'm not saying that they won't have modern shows. There but- are modern shows on it. We talk we talk about it being historical stuff, but it, there are modern shows. Well, it has. I mean, in terms of this, the the, the BritBox service that will launch here is not the same as the one that exists for America, right? It's meant. Well, it doesn't. It doesn't exist here yet, but it's meant to yeah. be fundamentally the same. Right. Okay, but this, so that's but, interesting. But I, I, my understanding of it was that the idea was going to be that it would it would use the extensive archives of the BBC and ITV to offer a service with the obvious 
advantage that you could add in other things that you would then repay for the rights for for you know the production companies that made them etc um and of, but of course deals like this are complicated because though some of those companies would have done deals with netflix so you might find that spooks isn't available on BritBox because it's an exclusive to Amazon Prime or something like that. But that's the problem we have now. But, but it, it is a problem, and it, it, it will open... become increasingly a problem because we're going to be paying one hundred and fifty thousand pounds a month for our um, subscription TV services. Well, you're talking about subscription fatigue, and that's a topic that we're going to go into um, in another form in in the future. Um, KV in the chat room says fragmentation is being a problem, and that is definitely true. We've seen that we've seen that happen time and time again, where something is exclusive for one platform for a while and then it and then it disappears and people get frustrated particularly it disappears halfway through watching a season because they they tend not to remove one season at a time it's like it all just disappears and then you're like well that's really frustrating because if you signed up to watch something and then it's gone that <clears throat> is frustrating it's also yeah. the reason i still buy some content on itunes mm. content that i know i want to watch and will continue to want to watch in future i actually have most of that bought in my iTunes library for that exact reason. Bear in mind that this is one of the reasons that Netflix is moving over quickly and with efficiency to its own original productions. Yeah, like HBO. It's the HBO model. Yeah, I mean, the future for Netflix is not buying other people's content because it's expensive, you're beholden to them, and and then you can't can't make a brand out of something. Uh, I mean, Netflix is not quite there yet because they sort of tend to cancel things quite quickly. I mean, you, you... quite unusual for a netflix show to get more than three seasons on the whole um you know there's a big cancellation sort of thing around three seasons orange is the new black went on for longer didn't i know well there will always be exceptions i think stranger things will perhaps last a bit longer because it's a phenomenon Mm. um ozark maybe because that's one of their biggest shows but anyway you know it's it's not a it, it this whole thing is complicated but you know the bbc doesn't in fact the BBC doesn't have the luxury Netflix has because Netflix could if it wanted to make 100% of the content that it puts on its platform the BBC is not allowed to do that um so you know it will always be more of a struggle for the BBC with iPlayer or you know other services let us know any thoughts you have on this of course hello at techpodcast.uk what model would work for you we welcome your thoughts or you can obviously tweet the matters at text message pod well let's jump into our mailbag ian randall uh, wanted to comment on our discussion of a couple of weeks ago about the difference in average earnings for men and women in the uk technology industry uh, he says hi nathan ian i'm an economic uh, economist programmer and have been interested in this issue since my prior life as a research vice president in our central bank he's in the us and he says it's the federal uh, reserve system i think it's fair to say that the 20 percent wage differential is something of an urban legend in the us i.e. not exactly true, but used in political discourse as if it is. Once one adjusts for a few agnostic factors, the differential is essentially zero. The most important differentiating factor is not sex per se, but rather is the incidence and the length of time one is off one's career track. Uh, uh, This factor applies equally to men and women, but women, in the US anyway, tend to interrupt their career track for family reasons more often and or for longer periods than men do. Both sexes have difficulty recovering from such hiatus events, but taking a snapshot of wages at a fixed point in time of people in seemingly similar job settings will always yield the appearance of the differential. I'm not saying this is good, just that folks in fast-moving tech and software engineering jobs are particularly likely to suffer from an untimely hiatus. Mm, I mean, I I can totally see what he's saying there. I think the it would be interesting to maybe take a sampling point of 
um, are 25, 25 year old people. You know, if you if you made, I know that the rules obviously aren't, aren't like this, but if you um, said to companies, you need to tell us the mean or median figures for everyone who's 25 in your company, I think you would get a better picture then about whether that's the case or not, because obviously you're going for most people pre having a child. I'm not saying obviously everyone, there are plenty of people that have children way, way younger than that, but you know, I, I, I completely see what he's saying and it sounds like he's got far more experience in the field than I have. And I was happy to listen to experts. Thank you, Randall, for the, uh, for the very informed email and, uh, and for joining us a new listener. He did actually mention that he discovered us via one of my appearances on This Week in Tech. This is why I love the fact that you do other media. You, we, we, you really get us out there. And I do my best. Yeah, and, I like, and I don't have the time, unfortunately. I like hanging out with I, Leo Laporte. Yes. We, we, it's, uh, I've never actually done a show with Leo, but I did, do, I did do a show with Tom when he was at Twit. Mm. Yes, now he's, uh, he's a lot of fun. I like Leo a lot. And you mentioned Tom, which is good, because uh, it is Tom's voice which we are about to hear, because we keep you informed about our British landscape and context. Uh, but we're going to check in with Tom from Daily Tech News Show in the US and hear what's been happening in the wider world of technology this week. We had quite a valuable week on DTNS. We talked to Jen Cutter about game developer burnout, why it's become worse, discussed all the announcements from F8 and how Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg emphasized privacy from other people, but not privacy from Facebook itself. We discussed how to use Slack responsibly so it doesn't make communication worse, evaluated the EFF's recommendations for fixing content moderation to strike a balance between your rights and stopping bad behavior, and Ashley Esqueda from CNET helps us tune our TVs so Game of Thrones doesn't look so dark. All that and more at dailytechnewsshow.com. Thank you. Tom. Uh, thank you, of course, to our patrons supporting us every week. And uh, we're, as, as we record, we're shortly about to publish episode three of Extra Message, mm-hmm. our new sister show um, on uh, patrons on our $3 tiers and above. That's coming uh, a li- in a few hours' time at the time we're recording, but hopefully by the time you hear this, that should be already on your feed. Uh, but if you're not a patron and would like to get our ad-free extended versions of each week's show access extra message of course in our live streams our unedited uncensored versions and a whole bunch more join us please at patreon.com forward slash uk tech remember it's like buying one of us a beer once a month thank you ollie man for letting me steal that yes and you can send us comments and suggestions and all sorts of anything at all you want it's hello at techpodcast.uk you can follow us on twitter it's at text message pod and we uh, like to post the latest news stories so you can feel very well informed throughout the week and thanks to everyone listening to us on our ad supported free feed um the best way to give us uh, a little bit of a boost is to leave us some feedback on itunes and a star rating five if you can manage it thank you very much kv put in the chat room nice save i have to say that was it was awful that was a that was a very nice save. it was not that was that was sort of like a goalkeeper slipping on the grass and accidentally kicking the ball away from the goal using his Yes, gentleman parts. I always struggle with that, especially when I go off the script. But I also feel like people have heard that that pre-pack enough times now that I need to sort of step it up a bit. I should say as well that as of about two hours ago, we are now available on the Stitcher app. Nice. It probably is. I haven't actually checked that it works yet, but I had an email from their content partner people that says we are now on uh, been approved. Well, it's good. It's good being on various things. I I, I like the fact that we're on Spotify because it means that people can sort of dip in and out a little bit more easily. Yeah. So it's I quite like that fact that if you're not, if you don't, I mean, we all have to be you know a bit wary of what we subscribe to. 
because obviously we can't listen to everything. But I like the fact that, you know, you can give out a Spotify link now and people can just listen to one show if they're interested. I think it's a good thing and hopefully some of those people will uh, end up subscribing. Yeah. Spotify, we're on Stitcher, of course we're on Acast, we're on the web. Yeah, we're an Apple You can podcast. listen on both of our websites, can't you? There's you a, can listen on both of our websites. What's our other website? Well, I have a website. Oh, your and website. It, it, it has a podcast section, oh, yes. and the latest feed episode is in that is fed into that. And if I'm not mistaken, you link to us in your Forbes pieces. Don't I do. You? Yes, I believe so. Yeah. God, we're everywhere. We're like, um, what do we like? What's everywhere? Um, air. <laughs> I was going to say air. Well, I mean, this is why we're friends. Yeah, exactly. Bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.